Hogarty. Uh, hello, hello, everybody. My name is Pat Hogarty, and welcome to California Real Estate Practice, Real Estate 310. This happens to be our first show uh, for the uh, course. Today we had a course orientation. Uh, we have two of them, actually. Uh, we have one in the morning and one in the afternoon in which we went over things such as the uh, course outline, the grading system, uh, how to get in contact with me, my phone number, and essentially everything that is in the course outline is what we essentially went over. We also discussed something called Blackboard, which is a course content delivery system that we're going to be using to provide things like uh, uh, course handouts, uh, uh, let you know what you got on course grades, in other words, grade postings. We're going to be doing all of that on Blackboard, and again, that's stuff that we cover during the course orientation is when we covered that. Uh, what we want to do today, though, is we want to talk about the basics of the course. So what I'm going to kind of do is the first thing is I'm going to kind of go over about what's just basically covered in real estate practice. And then after I do that, I'm going to, and if the Internet is up and up to speed, I'm going to show you something that only applies to this particular class, by the way. And that's the ability that... You're, not only are you able to watch this live like you are now on TV and also being able to see a rebroadcast of it but, or to attend the class here in person, but you're also going to be able to watch it over the Internet. So if you have a high-speed connection such as a DSL or a cable modem and a computer that's capable of running the current version of Windows Media Player, you'll be able to have access to this show 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. So if time permits, I'll give you an example of how that may work for you. So uh, first thing that I'm going to do is assume, I'm, I'm assuming that most of you have all had real estate uh, principles, or you've all taken real estate principles. We have a pretty large group of people here today. Uh, some of you are familiar. Some of you have been in other classes that I've had, and you're familiar with it. Uh, what I want to do, first of all, is put up also our telephone number for you to call in, that if you have any questions during the show, remember that this is an interactive TV show. While we're not taking attendance for the show, you can be sitting at home and decide that you want to go ahead and uh, actually um, call in with a question you may have. And the telephone number, I think Bob may be putting it up. I just is, went a bit on Okay. Uh, we'll get, a, get it up in a minute here. But uh, anyway, I'll read it once, and then Bob will have it. The, area, uh, the telephone number is going to be area code 916-650-2900. And the way that that works is that you may be watching the show and very well turn around and say, you know what, Pat said something and I have no idea what in the world he's talking about. Or he said something and that's totally counter whatever the textbook happens to say. And so I'd like to call him up and ask a question. So what you can do is you can call that phone number and hopefully if I'm able to control all this equipment up here at the same time, I'll be able to see your call coming in, hit the button and be, you'll come up on the air and then you'll ask your question so everybody else can hear it and then I'll go ahead and answer it, whatever it happens to be. So that's a couple of the things that we have working for you. And remember, that's only, you're only going to be able to do that during the time that you actually are, that the class is live. So if you're watching it, you know, one weekend from tonight on the Internet or something like that, don't try calling in because I won't be there to answer the telephone. I'll be at home or something like that. Okay, anyway, the other thing that I wanted to um, mention to you too is, is that in court real estate principles, when you took real estate principles or some of you that have taken the principles class, you know, you basically talked about the basics of real estate. You talked about things like legal descriptions, you talked about encumbrances, you talked about ways, different ways of financing property, you talked about how to get your license, you talked about all those different things. In real estate practice, we're taking a different tact. Real estate practice, by the way, oh, by the way, happens to be the second mandatory course that you have to take in order to get a real estate license that's going to be good for four years. Remember, if you just have real estate principles, your license after you take your exam is only good for, you know, for 18 months. But by having real estate principles and practice in one additional class, like finance, economics, legal, appraisal, whatever, then you're able to keep your license for four years. Okay, so that's why you're taking it. But you're going to notice that some of the topics we're going to be covering are going to be of a general nature, fairly close in some cases to which you covered in real estate principles. But in real estate practice, what we're really talking about is how do you practice real estate? In other words, when you're going to go out there and you're going to be earning a living representing somebody in the purchase of a home, the sale of a home, the lease of a piece of property, the sale of a business opportunity, somewhere along the line you're going to be earning a living doing that. 
So the question is, is how do you go about doing that? So that's what real estate practice is really about. Even so that you're really talking about some of the same topical areas, you may very well find out that we're, the, the emphasis that we're placing is on you selling or making your living by selling or assisting people in the sale or purchase of property. Okay? And so what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be using a couple things when I do this. I'm going to be following along in the book, uh, the book that I mentioned, uh, you know, just in the real estate practice that's in the course outline. And I'm going to be going chapter by chapter through that, but I'm going to be kind of just hitting the high topics, and I'm going to be back and forth. I'm going to be pulling something up here just as a, as a, as a title of where we are in the book. I'm going to be pulling it up like in a PowerPoint presentation, and then I'll be coming back again. By the way, any of these presentations that I do, too, are also going to be put up into Blackboard, so you'll be able to have them and take a look at them or whatever as time goes by. So let me see if I can bring this up. Anyway, Real Estate 310, Real Estate Practice, and I think see if Bob is getting all zoomed in here. Okay, uh, I'm Pat Hogarty. And the first chapters that we're going to talk about, the first topical area happens to be something called the salesperson. In other words, what we're going to be doing in Chapter 1 is talking about what is it that a salesperson actually does. You know, what do they do in order to earn an income or a living? And we're going to start out with the basics about it, and we're going to just say, you know, for example, if you're going to go into this business, you need to really make sure that you have a commitment from your family because you're starting your own business. That's the one thing that you really have to realize. If you're going to be going into real estate, you're starting a business, and it's going to take time, and you're going to make mistakes <laughs> along the way. And so you're going to have to have a commitment from your family in order for you to be able to make it in the real estate, you know, to make it in the real estate business. And so a couple of the other things that we're going to be talking about during those particular chapters, in that chapter, is that you ha you're going to have to realize that you are not an employee of a company. You are actually an independent contractor, even so that you're going to go to work for somebody like Century 21, Remax, uh, uh, Lion Realtors, whoever it happens to be, you are in reality your own business owner. In other words, they're not going to withhold income tax. They're not going to provide benefits for you. You're going to get paid on what we call a 1099, which essentially is where you're going to be telling the Internal Revenue Service how much money you're going to be making. You're the one that's going to have to be making quarterly payments on your income. Okay, so you're going to be in your own business. So you're going to have to think about it like it's your own business. And a couple of the things that we really want to emphasize, too, is the fact that when you're doing this, you really want to go out and look and talk to several different real estate brokers. Remember, if you're going to be a salesperson, you, are, you cannot just pass the license and hang a shingle on the outside of your office and say, I'm going to sell real estate, that you actually have to work for a real estate broker. And so one of the things that we're really going to be emphasizing in the class is that you really need to, first of all, figure out what kind of real estate is it that you realistically want to be involved in. In other words, do you want to be, sell residential property, commercial property? Do you want to be uh, doing loans, you know, like loan brokering? Do you want to be an appraiser? Do you want to sell businesses? In other words, what kind of real estate do you want to be involved in? And then what geographical area do you want to be located in? Where do you want to work? Do you want to work in North Sacramento, South Sacramento, East Sacramento? Where is it that you want to work? And then once you find out where you want to work, then who are the brokers in that area that sell real estate? Or who are the people that do that kind of business in there? You want to find out who they are, and those are the people that you want to go out and interview with and find out what it would be like working for them, because you're going to have to work for a broker. The broker is the one that's going to be responsible for all of your professional activities meaning that they're not going to be telling you things like come in at 8 o'clock in the morning. They're not going to be telling you, no, you can't take a break at a certain time. But they are going to be the ones that are going to be reviewing your things like your, your contracts you create, your listing agreements, your purchase offers, all those other things. So you really kind of want to have a feel. You want to interview with a lot of different people if you're going to be in the business to find, out, find the right fit. Some people will turn around and say, should I work for a large company? Should I work for a small company? There is no right or wrong answer. It's you find out whatever works best for you. Okay, so we're going to be talking about that. The next thing that we'll be talking about is something called prospecting. Prospecting gets, and this is a Chapter 2 topic, gets its topic mainly from the idea in mind that if you are, uh, I guess maybe because if you're, if you're from California and you were, uh, you know, California, a lot of people moved to California because of the gold rush. And one of the things that we talked about is, is that when the people were going out for gold in the 1840s, 1850s, 
they were called prospectors. They'd go out and they'd constantly, every day, be looking for gold. Well, prospecting is the idea of how are you going to get your clients. The way that I like to look at it is, okay, you're in business. People, are, how do you, you look at the telephone and you say, how am I going to get that telephone to ring? To have somebody call me and say to me, I would like to have you come over and list my house for sale. I'd really like your help in helping me find a property to buy. I'd like to help you sell my business. I'd like to get a loan. How do you make the telephone ring? That's what prospecting really is. And so some of the things, excuse me, some of the things that we're going to be talking about that is, is holding open houses. Uh, we'll be talking about something called your sphere of influence. In other words, if you sit down and talk, think for a minute, and look at all the people that you know, all the people you deal with, your relatives, your friends, your people you work with, there's a large group of people. How do you make sure you have a complete list of those people and, and get in contact with them after you've passed your real estate license and say, listen, I, I'm in the real estate business and you know I list and sell houses. How can I help you? So how do you make that happen? That's the prospecting part of it. And at that time, near the end of that, we're also going to be doing, like I talked about during the course orientation, we're going to be doing something called the business plan. This is a three to five page document that you're going to create that I have all of the materials up on the Blackboard website that's going to start out with just you filling out a checklist. Just saying, okay, who do I, you know, when am I going to get my real estate license? Who am I going to work for? What area do I want to work? You're going to be putting all this stuff down. You know, how much money do I want to make? Uh, you know, what kind of, what do the homes sell for in the area where I'm looking to sell property? You know, where is that all actually going on? And you're going to be creating this business plan because, as I mentioned during the orientation, if you're going to go in any kind of a business, whether it is selling donuts at a donut shop or a coffee shop or a bakery or a hardware store or a hairdressing salon or whatever you're going to do, the one thing you have to do is think, how am I going to run my business? You know, where am I going to locate the business? How am I going to get clients to come in? How much is that going to cost me? A lot of times, too many people in a class like this will focus on, oh, I can get clients by putting, t putting out a bunch of flyers. Well, that costs you money. Or I can drive a lot of people around town and show them properties for sale. That costs a lot of money to do that. So you have to think about what are all the things that you're going to do, both strategically and financially, in order for you to make sure that you're going to be successful in the business. So we'll be talking about, and we'll probably have a whole lecture or a whole show on just about that business plan, all those forms. It'll probably be probably either next Tuesday or Thursday in which we will do that, okay? The uh, next thing that we're going to be talking about is something called a listing agreement. And a listing agreement, which you have to kind of keep in mind, is that when you are essentially, and we'll talk just say about residential property, you're essentially going to make money in, in, in property sales by doing one of, let's say, three things. One of them is going out and finding somebody that wants to sell their house. That's called a listing. In other words, you're going to go out, you're going to get their name, you're going to, make, uh, you're going to figure out how much the property should sell for, you're going to be responsible for marketing it, responsible for advertising it and all that. You're going to have a listing agreement where that's your contract with, between you and the owner of the house on what it is that you are promising that you're going to do within a certain period of time in order to sell that house and how much you're going to charge for that. That's a listing agreement. Remember, you could also be involved where you're actually working with a buyer. And with the buyer, the buyer's telling you what kind of property that they want, and you're promising them that you're going to help them or assist them in finding that property that they're interested in buying. Okay? Or you could actually be working with somebody that's doing both at the same time. Somebody that's listing a house and somebody that at the same time wants to buy it. Okay? But the thing to keep in mind is anytime that you're involved in real estate, you're in the contract business. You earn your living by very clearly creating a contract specifying what you're going to do and how much you're going to charge and when you're going to get it done. So understanding that listing agreement totally of what it involves is a very, very important topic for, you to, for us to discuss. So we're going to talk about the listing agreement in great detail, what's involved with that. And then after that, they talk about something called break down the listing agreement. One of the things that you're going to find is uh, there's a lot of things that you have to make sure the clients understand. There's a lot of disclosures that they have to make. Used to be at one time they used to just say, you know, hey, listen, the buyer needs to be aware of that. This, you know, let them be aware that 
that there's some problems with the property. What it is anymore is that you as a real estate agent and your seller has to make sure that they disclose every single thing that they believe has a material effect on that property. So in other words, you know, is it in a high noise area? Does it have any pollution? Does it flood? Okay, like we've seen in Sacramento and, you know, in the area and the years that flood. Uh, is there any kind of, uh, you know, hazardous material in the area? Is there anything that would affect the value of the property at all? Okay, that has to be disclosed. And then you as an agent also have an inspection that you do to make sure that the property meets the needs and it's all, any defects, any problems, or anything else are disclosed totally to the buyer of the property. Okay, so we'll be talking about uh, that. The next one that we'll be talking about is selling. And selling sometimes gets to be, uh, gets to be a little bit confusing because in reality, um, selling, you're talking about purchasing a home, okay, you're working with the, you know, as I'm reading down through here, it's a, we're going to be talking about things like shopping for a home, purchasing a home, um, some of the advantages of owning a home. You know, why do we want to own a property? You know, why do we want to do that? If you go out today in the Sacramento market and you look at two houses that are, you know, sitting side by side that are almost exactly identical, you know, I hate to tell you this, but if you take a look at it and one of them happens to be a rental and the other one happens to be a home that you're going to buy, your monthly payments on the rental are going to be substantially less than your payments are when you buy a house. If you're going to buy a house that's $400,000, as an example, you could quite conceivably end up with payments of $2,500 or $3,000 a month to buy the house, okay, that you're going to have to pay interest, principal, taxes, and insurance. On the other hand, if you're, buying, if you're going to rent the house next door, well, look in the, look in the Sacramento Bee of what the rental rates are. You're probably going to be able to rent a house for somewhere around $1,200, $1,600, $1,700 a month. So there's a significant difference in renting versus buying, well, why in the world do you want to buy a house? Why does anybody want to buy a house? What are the advantages and the disadvantages of buying property? You know, some of the things that we look at are things like appreciation. Sometimes people, the, the only value, you know, the largest asset that they have in their estate is their property, the house that they live in. You know, they may very well, there's a lot of people that get ready to retire and decide to downsize, sell the house, take some of the money and use that money to live on. Okay, so there's reasons why people buy property. Okay, besides pride of ownership and a lot of other things. So we'll be talking about those things. The next thing that we're going to be talking about after that is something called the purchase offer. And a purchase offer, it, it takes a, quite a bit of detail. Again, this is contracts that we're really back into. A, a purchase offer is where you as a buyer or you representing a buyer you are, you know, you've taken the, or the buyer has looked at a lot of houses that are for sale, a lot of properties that are for sale. They finally have come to the conclusion, with your assistance maybe, that they want to buy this property. Then the next, very next thing that you're going to do is you're going to write up something called an offer. And an offer is something where you as the buyer are going to specify under what circumstances and price you are willing to purchase the property for. So, for example, under an offer, you may say something like, okay, I, I'm ready, willing, and able to buy this house. The price I want to buy the house for is $400,000. I want to get a, uh, I want to put 10% uh, down. I want to have 30 or 40 days to look for financing. I want to turn around and I want to order a termite report because I want to see if there's any termite damage on the property. I want to have a building inspector take a look at the property. If it has a pool, I want a pool inspector to look at the property. In other words, you're listing all of these conditions that must be met by the seller or outside people before you are ready and willing and able to go ahead and buy the property. Okay? Now, when you're making the offer, remember you make the offer and then it has to be accepted or accepted by the seller. Now, when you get involved with that, you're going to make your offer and then the seller is going to look at it. And in a lot of cases, the seller doesn't initially agree to, you know, selling you the house for that amount of money. So basically what they do is they make, in most cases, something called a counteroffer. And a counteroffer, I think we have, you can just stand right there. I don't know if we have any more space. Uh, center to LR105. Uh, could you go to LR105? Just out the door into the, huh? go right around. We'll have someone meet her. Just walk out the door and somebody will meet you and escort you down there. Don't worry about it. Okay. We just didn't, we have another room set up for the overflow, if you will. Okay. Uh, anyway, on a purchase offer, 
there's going to be uh, this offer counteroffer back and forth between the the person that wants to buy the property and the person that wants to sell the property until they have a meeting of the minds and they both agree. Okay, so understanding what's involved in those contracts, the offer and the purchase offer and the addendums and all those agreements becomes very important as part of your offering process. In fact, there's an art to making an offer. In fact, one of the things that I've said in classes in the past is that one of the things that we as Americans don't want to do is we don't want to usually make offers that are, you know, we have a hard time making offers that are, say, asking for what we want. In other words, asking for a lower price. We're not a bargaining type of society, if you will. So you may very well find you having to work with your clients to say, I know the house is for 400000 I know that you're only interested in buying something around 360000 Why don't we make an offer for 360000 and see what happens? Okay. So getting your clients to understand that. And then actually when you make an offer and it gets accepted and they go, wow, I didn't realize you could really do that. You know, they have a really difficult, difficult time understanding that. Okay. After the offer, the other thing we're going to talk about is there's tons and tons and tons of forms that are utilized by real estate agents. And what they are is in the book they call them additional forms. The concept behind it is this. Over the years... First of all, I know you learned from your, your principals class that we had a local uh, association of realtors, and then we have a California association of realtors. This California association of realtors has a series, not a series, but a, a group of attorneys that all year long, all they ever do is look at contracts over and over and over again. And what they do is they look at the contracts to make sure, for example, that purchase offers are meeting all the current law. Uh, that listing agreements are meeting all the current law or legal requirements. In other words, that's their job. And what they found out over the period of time, over the years that they've been in existence, that, hey, you know what, if we start to see a pattern of where we need to have, for example, a disclosure statement on a water heater, you know, where, where people are handwriting things into the contract, why don't we make a legal approved document that agents can just attach to their contract? So, for example, in the past where we would have disclosure statements, now we have written disclosure statements that are already there that you just check the box. If you're making a purchase offer and you want to make an addendum, an additional part to the contract, these are things that are already approved. If you want to um, request a certain type of inspection, like a roof inspection or pool inspection, you don't have to start writing all this stuff out. It's already in the forms. The other thing, too, and I'll be showing you, too, is all of those forms that the California Association of Realtors has is also avail is also now uh, is is computerized. So in other words, you can you can you can actually uh, download the forms if you're a member of the association and actually fill all the forms out online. In fact, when we get to that part of the class, I'll show you where you can actually get a trial version of that that's kind of watermarked, but you can get all the forms that you want by just going to CAR and downloading the forms and then just filling them out online. The only thing that will happen is, is that it will have a watermark that will say, I think it says something like, uh, you know, the trial version or something like that on it. But the concept behind it is, is that all of these forms, and there's hundreds of these forms, are all available now once you're uh, a member. Okay? So we'll be talking about that. The next thing that we'll be discussing is something called finance. And finance is a topic all on to its own, but basically the way that you have to think about this, and it sounds, I, sometimes I, it sounds to me kind of silly because I say it so many times, but when people are purchasing property, they are, you take a look at the average house in Sacramento, which is three to $400,000. People are not walking around with three or $400,000 in their back pocket. They just don't have it. Some, well, maybe some people do that are coming from you know, Los Angeles or some other high-priced area that are downsizing. But most people don't have the money. So what happens is they have to finance the purchase. That's the reason why now, as I just talk, we've had the interest rates start to rise, or they have been rising. In fact, the Fed, uh, Fed has been raising it over and over and over again. I think they're at their 14th time raising the interest rates now, the, the prime rate. What that does is it essentially starts to eliminate the amount of people I can purchase a home. The way that I like to think about it is I take this entire room of students that are here and I turn around and I say, you know what, at 5%, everybody in the room could afford to buy a $300,000 house. There's no problem. Or $350,000. Everybody here could afford that at 
If I raise it to 5.5%, then I start dropping the row of people over here because they don't quite make enough money for the new payment. If I raise it to 6%, I lose this row. 65 I lose this row. I'm eventually going to get to the point where I raise the interest rates so high that I essentially lose the market. Okay, in other words, people can't afford to buy. That's the reason why now we start to see that there are a lot more houses on the market for sale than we have seen in the past. We see that people are making offers and, and uh, transactions are dropping out because people, when they go to try to qualify for, for the financing, they can't obtain it. Okay, so you start to see that financing is very, very important. The thing you want to keep in mind, too, is that there are a number of different programs that are available. So you as a real estate agent, one of the things that you're going to want to do is assist your clients in trying to obtain the financing for the purchase of a property and keeping in mind that there are different types of programs. If you're talking about strictly government programs, and government programs, remember, are the ones in which the government has agreed to, in one form or another, to ensure or help the person get the loan by providing some form of insurance for them. Those would be loans like FHA, Federal Housing Administration, or VA, Veterans Administration, if you've been a veteran. If you've been a veteran in California, you can have CalVet, California Veterans Administration can assist you. All those programs are very active programs that, to help. And you're going to see those programs come more into being used because as the interest rates go up and less people can afford the other type of rate, the, uh, the conventional rates, they'll start to see more people use government types of programs. You'll also see people start to carry back loans. In other words, owners will have a house for sale and they'll turn around and say, you know what, I really need to move. I have no choice. I'm going to get stuck with two house payments. So you know what, I'll agree to carry a loan for 10 years for $50,000. So you'll see that kind of financing. Also, you'll have conventional type of financing, okay, uh, and uh, where you go down to the bank like Bank of America or Wells Fargo Bank or whatever and you go in and you apply for a loan. So, but the point is, is in the finance program, we're going to talk about those different kinds of programs, and then we're going to talk about the two different things that we have to look at. One is that we're going to look at your clients, or your clients need to be looked at, and whether or not they make enough money to be able to make the monthly house payments. In other words, do they have enough salary to be able to make those payments? And then the other one you're going to look at is their willingness or their desire to make the payments, and that's going to be their credit rating. The, the lower their credit rating, the higher the interest rates are going to be on their property that they're going to pay. Okay, so we'll be talking about those kinds of things. And we're going to be talking about some of the other markets, such as the secondary market, like Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, in other words, where these loans are sold to. Okay, so we'll be talking about that. We'll talk about, as I mentioned, qualifying the buyer and qualifying the property. Okay. The next chapter we're going to talk about is something called escrow. Escrow is something that is sort of unique to, the, um, to California, or not California only, but you know, by and large, there are some states that utilize attorneys that close the transaction. Back in New York, uh, where I'm originally from, if you were going to close a real estate, if you're going to sell a house, you'd talk about going down to the attorney's office. The attorney was the one that would do things like draw up all the documents. You'd go in, you'd sign the paperwork at the attorney's office. What's happened in California years and years and years ago is that they said, you know what, it's very, very expensive to do that. And what it's better that we have is something called an escrow company. And an escrow company, and the funny thing is, is an escrow company you probably don't know very much about because they're usually the people that just before you're ready to take possession of the property is when you go down there and sign paperwork. But in reality, what they are is the minute that the offer is actually made on the house and it's accepted by the seller, the, you as the agent called the escrow company right away. I mean, you know, like if, if you had a deal last night and the seller finally said, signed it and said, yes, I'll, I'll take the deal. Okay, that next day, you as an agent, you call the escrow company. And the escrow company is the one that will actually, you, you know, usually, we're, and when we talk about escrow companies, we're talking about companies like First American, uh, financial title, Chicago title, companies like that. But they have escrow officers and title officers. And the escrow officer is the person that when you call them, you as the agent call them, you're going to open up an escrow. They're going to do things like after they open up the escrow, and if you look at your contract that you actually assigned, it it's also says that it's a, a contract and it's the uh, escrow instructions also. So you as an agent are going to go down there, talk to them, give them all the information. 
The escrow officer is going to do things like, for example, contact the lender, the existing lender, and order something called demands. In other words, how much money is actually owed on the loans that the person that's selling the house actually owes on it. They're going to call their title plant and find out if there's any liens, mechanics liens, IRS liens, uh, anything that would be pertinent, you know, in other words, uh, uh, loans that are against the property, anything. They're going to call for all that. There are also the people that are going to collect things like, for example, the title, uh, the uh, termite reports. All those things are going to be taken care of during escrow. That escrow officer does all that. They're going to prepare things like the grant deed, the deed of trust, the notes. They're going to do all of that work. And then after everybody comes in and signs everything off, they're also the one that going, that's going to make sure that everything is recorded going down to the county recorder's office, making sure that all the documents are recorded, the grant deeds, the deeds of trust, making sure all the money is transferred to the appropriate people. They're going to take care of all of that. So we'll be talking a little bit about what an escrow officer does. The next thing is something called taxation. And when we talk about taxation, there's a lot of different types of taxes. Taxes has to do with things like uh, the basics are like property taxes. If you live in a county, one of the ways that the county raises money in order to pay for things like the sheriff's department, the fire department, the streets, the curbs, the gutter and everything, gutters and everything else, schools, is through property taxes. That's how they raise money. We also have, so those are the basic types of pro, uh, property taxes. You also have uh, some other things that we'll talk about, uh, such things as special assessment districts. Uh, one of the things that you're going to hear about when you list a property for sale now is something called Melarus. What that is is that, just to harken back for a minute, back in the late 70s there was a proposition that was passed in California called Proposition 13. What Proposition 13 did is it said, it, what its basic idea behind the law is to say, listen, if we let the county continue going on the way they are right now, they're going to price us out of being able to live in Sacramento. Every year, they continuously are raising the property taxes. So we have to do something. If we can't tell them not to spend some, you know, if we, can, if we can't control what they're spending the money on, we're going to just control how much money we're going to give them. So what happened was is they said, you know what? We're, the, the property taxes that you're going to be able to collect on any property is going to be 1% of the sales price of the home. So if you sell a home for $100,000, that's $1,000 a year. If it's $200,000, it's $2,000 a year. The problem is, is that the county only collects enough money or has been collecting enough money to maintain stuff. In other words, maintain the fire department, maintain the school district, maintain things. They haven't really had the money to build the new streets for the subdivisions that want to go in, the new apartment buildings or whatever. So the way that the developers raise their money in order to pay for those improvements is through something called Melarus. And Melarus is where they have the ability to sell bonds to investors who then give them the money and they use that money to put the drainage systems in, the streets, the curbs, the gutters, or whatever. Okay, so we'll talk about that. There's also something else we'll talk about called the documentary transfer tax. When you sell a piece of property, you do pay a very small amount of tax on the actual transfer. It's 55 cents per $500 or $1.10 per thousand. So we'll talk about what that is and how you calculate that. Some of the other taxes that we'll talk about are things like income taxes in relation to the sale of personal residences or investment properties. Now, the reason why you need to be aware of that is not because you are the one that's actually giving the tax advice. It's because that you're aware that certain types of events will cause income taxes to have to be paid. So, for example, if you are listing a house for sale and the people have lived there less than two years, they're going to have to pay taxes on their gain unless they, if it's their personal residence, unless they live there two years or longer. So that's maybe why something is being delayed. Or somebody will say, listen, I'm going to be selling this investment house. Okay, can you, uh, and, and, you know, is there, and they'll ask you, are there any income tax consequences? And what you're really going to have to do is tell them what you need to do is sit down with your accountant and pencil that out because it's not an easy answer to that. You know, you, you will be talking about things like having to figure out what the depreciation is, figure out what the cost of the sale is, and figuring out how much money is actually subject to income tax. And then what are the kinds of ways can you not get out of paying those income taxes but defer them? 
such as what we call exchanges, 1031 tax deferred exchanges or installment sales. How do we do that? How do we defer those? Because if the IRS is going to take a big chunk of our money, you know, we sell a piece of property and we're going to pay a lot of money in income tax, that affects how much more property we can buy. So being able to use the full amount of money is, really becomes important. So we'll be talking about taxation on the sale of property. Next thing we'll talk about is just investing, investing in property, the benefits of investing. Uh, investing is kind of funny, you know, real estate kind of, it's like anything else, it goes up and down all the time. And there are years in which the property doesn't go up at all. I mean, we all hear about that where we've owned property for years and years and years and it doesn't go up. We've just gone through a time frame now where anybody, <coughs> excuse me, anybody that could even spell real estate, in fact, you didn't have to be able to know how to spell real estate, anybody that even bought anything would make money. Anybody would. Now we're going through a trend now where all of a sudden what's starting to happen is things are leveling off or they're going down. What's causing that initially to happen? Interest rates are going up. Why do interest rates go up? The reason why is because the Federal Reserve, which is conscientious or concerned about things like inflation, inflation being that, hey, we have too much money in our pockets, we're paying more money than, than what the property is, you know, than what goods are really worth. We need to do something to control that. So what they do is they raise the interest rates, essentially take the money out of our pockets to do that. We're starting to see houses either level off or start to go down. So um, we need to be aware of those factors that affect investing in property and why people do. I mean, you can buy something and not do anything to it, not do anything, you know. And, you know, I mean, there are people in the last few years that have made, you know, fifty or $100,000 on a house, haven't done anything, bought it, signed the paperwork, hold it for two years and sell it and made money. There are also people now that you'll find out that in, you'll start probably reading articles in the paper where people have bought houses, can't sell them, and they're losing money. We're starting to now talk about something called short sales. Short sales are where, uh, which if you've been through the cycle like I have over all these years, what happens is, is that the value of the property, in other words, if you sell it, you can't make enough money on the sale of the property to actually pay the loan off. So what you're actually having to do is go back to the lender and say, listen, we, know we need to work something out. Either, either I'm going to end up you know, being defaulting on the house and you're not going to get anything, or maybe you're willing to take a little bit less on the payoff, and that's why we call them short sales. Why do we do that? Because people pay too much for the property. I mean, it's actually kind of scary when I would sit there and see people spending, you know, with the idea in mind of buying a piece of property, and if they couldn't afford it, in a year selling it. I mean, when you start to see that kind of things happen in the newspaper and, and on TV, you know something is wrong. You know, when people are counting on the fact that, you know, hey, if I made a mistake or I'm not making enough money, I could sell it next year. Because usually you're right at the peak of the market, which they were. So it's quite obvious that in the next, you know, probably year or so, you're probably going to see people maybe losing houses. You may see foreclosures going up. Okay, so we'll be talking about that. Uh, next thing we'll talk about is something called sale of a business. Uh, you may or may not realize this, but by having a real estate license, there are other kinds of associated activities that you can get involved with. You may think, okay, if I have a real estate license, I can list and sell houses. That's all I do. Well, no, there are other kinds of activities you can be involved in, and this happens to be with whatever you desire. First of all, you can be involved with just rental property. In other words, where you are responsible as a real estate agent of taking people that have property that they want to rent, and you're going to be the manager of the rental property. You'll take the rental, you'll take the rental contract, you'll run the, uh, the credit checks, you'll run the background checks, you'll make sure that they are actually working, they do make that amount of money, you'll, walk the you'll do the walkthrough checklist, you'll have people come out and fix things that they break, it's called property management. So that's one area where you can be involved in, having a real estate license. Remember though, if you're always representing, if you're representing somebody else and you're receiving income for it, you have to have a license. Some of the other things that you can do is you can be involved in actually buying and selling mortgages. In other words, I can have somebody over here that has money and says, you know what, I don't want to put my money in the stock market or in bond market. What I want to do is I understand real estate better than anything, but I really don't want to own property. I really don't want to be a landlord. What I want to do is I want to just invest in it. They may very well do things like buy and sell deeds of trust, deeds of trust that owners take back. If you're going to be the one that's going to be organizing that or brokering that, you happen to be a loan broker, you have to have a real estate license to do that. 
But the other thing that we talk about here in the sale of business, sales of businesses, when you really think about it, a lot of people, when they go into a business, whatever that business happens to be, owning a beauty uh, shop, beauty salon, auto parts store, garage, liquor store, coffee shop, any business that you manage to walk into, they put all that energy and effort into it. But the idea in mind that someday, you know, they're not only generating an income, but they're increasing the value of that business. And hopefully someday they can sell it. If you go into most businesses, I don't care if they're restaurants or donut shops or auto parts stores, I mean the value of the, of the assets in there are not very large. If you go into like, a, like, a, a, like an auto parts store as an example, I mean most of the stuff that's in there are auto parts and shelves that are in there. Really what the value is is not in the auto parts and shelves, it's in the business. In other words, that the business has been located there on the corner that they have clients or customers that come in and buy stuff from them on a regular basis. That's the value of the business. So if you may be very interested in being involved with listing businesses for sale and selling, which means that you're going to be more interested in doing things like understanding how accounting works, being able to value a business, what we call goodwill, because the goodwill happens to be what is the value of those people that want to continuously come back and buy from that company on a regular basis, buy their donuts there every morning or their coffee or their auto parts. So sale of a business is another thing that you can be involved with. If you go home tonight and you go into the Sacramento Bee and look under the business opportunities for sale, you'll see people selling businesses. I mean, coin-operated laundries, you name it. And you can be involved in that, in the sale of businesses. So we'll talk about that. Um, we talked about property management. Property management is just something, a lot of times agents end up getting into property management by accident. <laughs> you know, they don't even necessarily want to do it. Uh, they, they have a listing and the people are going to be moving out of town and they've done everything in the world to sell the property and they just can't sell it. And so the client says, listen, I'm either going to, you know, what, what can I do? You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be moving to LA or I'm moving to San Francisco or Oklahoma or someplace and I need to be making payments there. What am I gonna do? And the the only alternative you may have is to rent it out. And they say, Would you help me? Would you help me rent the house? And the next thing you know, you start doing that, and if you do a fairly good job, somebody else calls you. And you don't want to do it. It just you, next thing you know, you got 10, 15, 20 of these things that you're working with on a regular basis, and you had no intention of getting involved in it. You just do, and you're, you're, you're going to make your income based on the fact of finding the tenants, running the screening background on them, collecting out of a certain amount of rent that you get per month, you're going to collect some kind of a fee for doing that. Uh, you may have a fee when people call up and say, hey, listen, the water pump, uh, the water pump, the uh, water heater is leaking, or the sprinkler system is not working, and organizing to have somebody come out and fix, fix things that are broken. Okay, so you, you, that's how you're going to earn your, your income. And you may very well, next thing you know, you're, that's what you're doing on a regular basis. You didn't mean to. You just ended up doing it. Um, well, another thing I'm going to talk about is something called real estate assistance. And what a real estate assistant is, is that in the years past, you know, real estate's sort of interesting in the sense that you, if you have agents that are really, really doing well, okay, and you really think about when an agent that really does well, wh what they should be doing is that they should be spending all of their time with their clients. In other words, they earn their money, they earn their worth, if they're success very extremely successful when they're showing people property for sale, they're making, taking listings, they're making offers. That's when, they, that's when they earn their money. They're not making money by meeting the bug guy at the house. They're not meeting uh, the guy by going and dropping some paperwork off at the escrow office. They're not making any money by setting the house up for an open house. They're not doing that. That's, that's like looking at high-level value of somebody, you know, where they're getting paid a lot for their knowledge and just low-level, lower-level work. So what's happened in the past in a number of years is that these successful agents have hired what they call real estate assistants. And what these people are is they're usually pretty well-organized people, people that maybe want to work in real estate, want to be involved in real estate, but but can't be in a position where they can just go out and earn a living based on commission right off the bat. So what they want to do is they may very well, maybe that's what they want to do their whole life. They maybe want to be an assistant, somebody's assistant, and help them out. Or they may very well also at the same time decide, hey, that's a way for me to slowly get into the business. I go in, 
I assess my skills, like for example, especially if you're a lot younger, you may find out, hey, you know what, I'm working with an agent that's a little, you know, older than I am. I have a lot of knowledge in how to set up websites, how to do email, I understand the technology. I can help them do that. And you put the two of those things together, and then that's where they're looking for you're getting an assistant. I bought a house about a year and a half ago, or sold a house, and the agent I worked with, he had an assistant. And the assistant took care of things like when they were getting ready to have an open house, the assistant came out and put the signs up. The assistant came out and baked the cookies or whatever they had to do, and then he came in and held the open house. Okay? So, and the assistant did things like set up the, you know, do the paperwork, put the uh, listings in the multiple listing system, make out the contracts, do all that kind of work. It's a good way to kind of gradually get into the business, not having to do it all at one time. Uh, the next thing we'll talk about is something called licensing ethics and associations. And what that essentially is, is the, uh, you know, to keep in mind that uh, all of your activities, in other words, to get your real estate license to start with, are going to be through the Department of Real Estate. We're going to be spending time going through how do you, how, where is all that information located on the DRE website? How do you actually set up an account with them? Uh, you know, the, the days have gone in which, you know, what's happening now with the state government and a lot of municipal governments is they're saying, you know what, everything that we can put on the web and have the customer do the work, we save money. So if they allow you to do things like apply for your license online, okay, then they don't have to hire somebody to open up your envelope, take your check out, and deposit your check. That saves them money. As an example I like to give is just like the state of California. I have a uh, motorhome that we had uh, you know, the smog check done on. And after the smog check was done, they electronically transfer the stuff to DME, uh, DM, the DMV, Department of Motor Vehicles. My wife goes on to DMV website and pays for all of the, uh, you know, all the fees for the motorhome, all the registration fees with MasterCard. There's no human intervention at all. What's happening is, is that the state of California says, you know what, if we do that, we save a lot of money. We save a substantial amount of money by doing that. So they're moving a lot of stuff online. And we'll talk about how you do that. How do you set up the account? How do you, how do you go forward? And what kinds of information is at the, the, the DRE website and what they do? We'll also talk about the different types of associations. In other words, we have a local association here called the uh, Sacramento Association of Realtors. There's one for each one of the counties, and some counties may have two. Then there's the California Association, so what kinds of services and things do they provide? And then the National Association. And then there are other associations that are more geared toward people that have special interests or ethnic backgrounds. So we'll talk some about those. And let me see. I think that that's pretty much it as far as that goes. What I wanted to do now is, if this works correctly, I wanted to share with you a little bit about the uh, Blackboard website, and uh, I wanted to show you one thing specifically in here. And I covered this during the course orientation, but I'm going to try to do this on TV. <laughs> the concept here is in this particular class, in this class only, not pra practice or principles, but practice, you will be able to go to the internet if you have a high speed connection like DSL or cable modem. And you'll be able to see this show or any of the shows at your leisure on demand. You should get excited about this, right? Okay. What's going to happen if this works and with all the traffic we have today is on the Blackboard website, I have something called TV shows. You know, we talked about this thing today, all the different other links that we have, but you have something here called TV shows. If I click on TV shows, what's going to happen is you're going to see in here a file folder eventually and it's going to have two links on it. It's going to have one for on-campus, and it's going to have one for off-campus. And let me tell you a little bit about what that is. On-campus means that I am actually running the show off a server that's downstairs in the business building. It has to do with traffic and computer stuff, if you will. If you're off-campus, we have a site that's coming out of Palomar College. You won't even recognize what's going on. It's just the way of how that stuff streams across. Now, what I'm hopefully going to do, hope and pray, that this is going to work correctly. I'm going to go ahead and click here. What will happen here is that you'll first see this box open up. It takes about 15 to 20 seconds for it to load. And then, hopefully, as they say, bing, bada, bing.
you will be able to be sitting at home and watching the show. Okay, I don't see any excitement. If you knew how hard this was, the technology this takes. Yay, believe me. Yeah. Um, I'm going to stop this for a minute because I want to show you what else you can do. Now, this is all running in a, in a, in a 320 by 280 frame size, and this is coming off 24 hours a day, anytime. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Pat Hogarty, and okay. welcome back. What you're also going to be able to do is I have another little link down here, and if this hopefully works, this will open up the Windows Media Player, which allows you to enlarge it and make it bigger, okay, for you to see it, and I'm hoping that this is going to... Uh, come down now. The big thing is, is the minute you see the double lines here, it means that it's 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 in the play thing. What's kind of nice about this is, let me see if I can move this. Is that you'll be able to size this window to any size that you want to, all the way down from that size to this size, whatever makes sense to you, and be able to see it. And I'm just going to let it run for a minute so you see what it looks Good like. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Pat Hogarty, and welcome back to California Real Estate Practice, Jazzed Real Estate 310. Today is Thursday, I think somewhere around the, uh, looks like about the 15th of uh, September. So I think we're in about the fifth week or so, finishing up the fifth week, of, unless somebody corrects me on that. A uh, couple things that I want to mention to you. What we're going to do is, today is I'm going to be focusing on uh, digressing a little bit and focusing on something called the business plan. And what I want to do is, that up uh, first thing, Bob's going to be so kind to do that here we, in a minute. We have a show on. Call in you know, phone number in case any of you want to call in from home. There's that phone number. Anyway, in order for you to see this, you will have to have a, a high-speed connection. And when I say high-speed, I mean a DSL or a cable modem. Okay, one or the other. And you'll have to have a you'll have to have the current version of Windows Media Player for your system. So if you're running Windows XP, okay, then you'll need to have Windows Media Player 10. Okay, if you're running Windows 98, Windows ME, or Windows 2000, you'll have to have Windows Media Player 9. And I think if you're running a Mac, you need to have Windows Media Player 9. Okay. But the whole idea is that what I'll do is as I do the shows, I will take the shows back to my office. I do this, this thing where I'm encoding them, okay? And then I put them up on the sites. And then once I know that that's done, you'll be receiving an email from me that'll say I just posted or just uplinked or uploaded, you know, show number four. And it's ready for your viewing. And what you'll do is you'll go on to shows and you'll see that show listed there. And you'll have one of two links. If you're on this main campus, you'll click that link. It all has to do with bandwidth shaping and stuff, which is another topic. But if you're on campus, you'll click one link. If you're off campus, you'll click another link. But the, if you're off campus, the on-campus link won't work because of security issues that we have, okay? So I just want you to know. And then that means it's going to be available to you all the time. Is that cool or why? That's cool. Also means that if you come to campus, you know, we are making a copy of the show that Bob Bickley does put over here in the library. But if you come to the campus and you have a headset with you, you can sit at the computer in the business lab over here. By the way, use that business lab. That's for your use. And sit there and watch the show, okay, at your time when it's convenient for you, okay? That's what I think is cool, okay? So I wanted to make sure I shared that all with you. Okay, so I'm going to kind of uh, close out of here. So I'll have different uh, things up there for you to use. The whole concept that we have now that we're going with the distance ed is actually in the fall what will happen is you'll actually, not, not you guys, but in the fall you'll actually have all of the shows on two DVDs <laughs> that you'll be able to view. That's uh, If you go to the... Uh, Go to Fry's or you go to Best Buy now, you'll notice whenever you buy a computer now, it not only comes with a CD player, but it'll have a CD slash DVD player. And the reason why is because of the fact that, guess what, most of the media now is being distributed on DVD. And uh, people are utilizing the DVD. Most people think DVD are only associated with movies. DVD is a storage medium. In other words, you can store a whole bunch of stuff on a DVD, but you have to have the DVD player in it. Okay, and the price of that comes down. And so that's the direction that we're going.
you know, as I say, uh, what I see in the future is where people will virtually just pick and choose whatever class they want to take when they want to take it. So I encourage you anyway, uh, I'll go over this again in the uh, course orientation, but to go over the website, remember that uh, I have things here. I have the course materials here, as I mentioned during the uh, course orientation. I have things here for you, such as your course outline, so that in the event that you've misplaced your course outline, it's available for you right now. Okay. Um, I also have other kinds of versions of things, like a PDF version of the document, so you can download it and print it out. Also, another thing that I want you to notice in here is that in this area, and this is probably the key area, you'll have an area here where I've put these PowerPoint presentations up for you to use um, if you're interested. I also have um, the sample business plan documents that I'll be going over in here. So when I talk about in that show, which will probably be about the third show or so, when I talk about the business plan, those are the documents that I'll be opening up and showing you what they are, okay, so that you're able to download and get access to them. And then, of course, another thing that I have in here is, um, let me see, um, oh, um, I have a course study guide, and I mentioned this during the orientation, but this study guide, there's a study guide for each exam, and the study guide is about 99.999% the same as the exam. Okay, does everybody get that? 99.999%. So that means that you should be downloading the study guide right away, okay, and, op you know, and, and looking up all the answers, okay and making sure that it's 100 questions, but I never have a student takes more than 25 minutes, and that's my slow readers, okay? Usually people come in and they're done in about 25 minutes, a half hour they're done because they've looked everything up, okay? And people do really, really well. So I want to encourage you to use that, to download that, go in there, download it, and work with it. So I probably think I have maybe about, about a, another half a minute or so to go, unless Bob corrects me. Um, and then we'll... Huh? About two minutes. Two minutes. Two minutes you want me to talk. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so. Um, oh, let them know that um, this is um, delayed basis. Uh, oh, yeah. The other thing that we wanted to mention, we'll go over this again in the course orientation, is, is that these shows are on a delayed basis too. So you're seeing this live. So if you're at home right now, you could be watching it live, okay, and calling in. Or you could TiVo it or VCR it, record it, okay. The other thing that happens is, is not this weekend, but the following week, uh, a delay, we'll have a delayed broadcast where this show will be broadcast over the weekend, on the weekend, the both shows. So if you're out of town and miss it, it'll be available there. So there's a lot of different ways, except for the fact of going out to your house and knocking on the door and saying, excuse me, could you sit down for a minute and let me go over this? We're doing everything we can to get the information to you using all the newest technology we possibly can. And uh, I think that uh, I probably got about a half a minute to go. Um, anyway, what I want to do now is, is if anybody has anything, uh, we're going to be probably wrapping up here in about the next 20 seconds or no. Anybody that came in that did not come to the orientation that I need to give a permission number to or a course outline to or anything else, then just come up here. And when you come up here, uh, in fact, you can go ahead and start coming up here now. I'll go ahead and get that. I'll get the course outline to you, and we'll go from there, okay? With that, thank you very much. Let me get my stuff.